Um. Well, hello, friends, and welcome. It is another edition, episode, uh, whatever you want to call it, of Between Two Sundays. Uh, I'm Mark Gladman and Mark Beresford is with me. I was going to say on the other side of the country, but you're on the southern. I guess it kind of is. It's just not east to west. It's north to south. Yeah, that's right. Is it getting cold there yet? Some of the mornings are, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like it though. It's quite oh. nice. And the motorcycles yeah. love that nice cold air when the Harleys oh. and the Enfields get out in that. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> I love it. Anyhow. I, um, I, I bought my Enfield back from being serviced. So I put it in Friday and got it back today. And um, I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed riding at home from the um, from getting looked after today. So yeah, yeah. Very nice. so surfing sucks, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Sometime I'll tell you about the camping trip I'm going to take in a couple of weeks, but we'll go oh. there a bit later. Oh yeah, Looking excited. All right, mate. So let's jump into first of all where we have been since Epiphany seven or the seventh week after Epiphany, a seventh Sunday after Epiphany. Um, we talked about that obviously last week and we had some really, again, um, deep conversation around that. Um, yeah. And it's interesting, man, because the thing that stuck on hard for me was I said something about how the readings for me evoked that reversal of what forgiveness and mercy or who forgiveness and mercy is for that through the readings, there's this idea that mercy and forgiveness and, and showing, extending that to others isn't for the other, although they benefit from it. It's actually for me. And I suppose this yeah. week I've really spent a lot of time, I suppose, being aware of how extending grace affects me. Um, not, not to say I'm doing it for myself because that would just be selfish and, and lack humility, but I suppose being aware of where my heart is at um, and, and being, I guess, I guess generally just being in touch with my emotions, just mm. um, feeling if, if anger is rising up, then saying, no, I really need to be conscious of coming to a place of showing grace and mercy and love in this moment, not being angry or frustrated or whatever, and then realising what happens to me in the process of extending that and how yeah. self-transformative those actions can be. Um, you often mm. hear said things like, you know, um, forgiveness isn't always just for the other person, it's the, if what it does for you. Um, and obviously, as I said before, there is a danger that you end up doing those things for, for selfish means just so I can feel better yeah. about myself. But I suppose I've been not just aware of the feeling, but, but the transformation more so and finding myself and, and even thinking back into the past of how I would react to people in certain circumstances and realising that the conscious act of extending forgiveness has brought me a long way along that process of transformation. Um, mm. it's, it was really encouraging, might be the word, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. to know that, God is at work. Um, and the beautiful thing, I suppose, is not to forget that, yes, God is at work with the other as well as with you, but, but yeah. not to forget that um, God is doing something in us all the time through these actions and through these mm. um, 
it's the training for resurrection life. Uh, I've got a little note here about my sitting <laughs> down last week. And that's, that's, that's really um, where I found myself. Uh, and it was, yeah. it was encouraging. And, and I suppose it's, you know, we often try and spiritualise things in a really big and hoo-hari way. Um, you know, look what God's done in me. But that, those little chipping away over, gosh, be a decade now of, yeah. of consciously doing those things and, you know, bringing myself to a, a place of, you know, re- reflection and contemplation and being still with God um, and being mm. more aware and conscious and mindful of those things. Um, it's been a long time coming, but I can see uh, that. So that was a really exciting, ref- you know, way for me to live out of last Sunday that um, has, has really, really stuck for me. Um, yeah. What about for you, mate? What's What's been going on in your life out of the readings from, from Sunday? You know, not very, um, not really very different to what you've described, perhaps slightly different language but um what's uh, i've been we've actually at, at the church i go to we've actually been preaching through the beatitudes from matthew so um so coming up against you know against luke's reading of the beatitudes effectively um i love luke's highlight that this is what god is like um do this and you will be like your father in heaven which is and i know i've said it many times before and no no doubt i will again but this is not what a what a shame when we read the beatitudes as uh, another a second set of law um you know a, a replacement law for moses that you, you know something we've got to do now to please god mm-hmm. um to get on side with god um, actually, uh, the more I read it, it just looks like getting on side with who we are. We are created in the image of one who loves enemies, one who forgives, one who is gracious. Yeah. And and the more we do that, the more we realise this is this is what we're designed to be. And, and there's there's something in me that's that's sitting with these beatitudes at the moment, saying. This is how it is, not not something I need to strive for as much as this is the natural me. Yeah. So this is the natural human. This is what it means to be um, human. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so there's something in me that's asking, how do I? You know, this is this this is the step of authenticity rather than the step of arrogance you know i'm better than you i live these more authentically than you this is actually the step of this is grace it's actually yes. god it's actually god loving us um loving us into ourselves i want to say and i've just been I've just been celebrating that and and reminding myself the step of grace might look hard in this situation, whatever that might be. But it's actually the easier one. It's the more natural one. Mm. It's it's the one that's 
more core to my humanity than than anything else so so when i you know if i buck against grace in that sense and try to go a different way that's unnatural that will make me less than the god imitating human i was created to be and I, this 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 so changes the beatitudes for me i've met you know just a few too many people who see it just as a second set of laws that i can't live up to and and i i think that's i think that's a misunderstanding i think this is a picture of the direction god is leading us yeah you know it's interesting because i was con contemplating um, Jesus talking about the lilies of the field and the birds of the yeah. air the other day. And yeah. um, I was thinking about how, because um, I'm sort of looking at the Tao Te Ching as well at the moment and um, seeing how, you know, there's something in Jesus talking about, look at what nature's doing, listen to what nature's yeah. doing. Yeah. And it's interesting, it just dawned on me that that is from Matthew 6, which is just after Matthew 5. And I'm thinking about that now and I'm thinking, you know, what you're saying in, in the, the Beatitudes, the, that the way that we're meant to be is how we're created to be. And maybe a lot of our issues come up because we're pushing against what is within our nature to truly be. Um, if we just go with it and show yeah. love and show grace and show mercy. And it's almost like Jesus is then saying, look, the birds know how to fly with it. The lilies know how to flow with it. Yes. Just yes. flow with it, dude. <laughs> yes. seek, seek first the kingdom. Yeah. What does the kingdom look like? Well, it yeah. looks like, um, you know, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. Ba -da -ba -da -ba. That's what the kingdom looks like. Yeah, yeah. Start to go with the flow of the kingdom that is here now and yeah. you'll, you'll find what you're looking for. Maybe that's why yeah. Bonner doesn't have it yet. I don't know. <laughs> This is um, we, we were um, we were just talking all things Celtic um, mm. a few moments ago before we hit record, and this is one of the things I just love, mm. love, love about the Celts is there uh, just this you you read it in the Celtic prayers just this inherent expectation that as I walk through the world, God is speaking. Yes um in the trees in the clouds in the sky in the rain in the sun in the grass in the animals um this is god's creation and i'm walking through it yeah. and well even even further than that i'm part of it um yes talk about um talk about an, a message for our time if we were to embrace that, we would be we would be so filled with wonder at creation that we would cherish it, we would yes. care for it, yeah. uh, and it would be would come very naturally. It wouldn't be something we need to, you know, invoke conscience over to get to change behaviour. It would actually be something that happens so very very naturally. Yeah. Um, we would we would walk more gently on the earth. I think that's interesting. Yeah, 
Mm. And I think this is exactly, you're exactly right. Matthew 6, the birds of the air, consider the birds of the air, consider the lilies of the field. Um, this is an invitation to look around and see the kingdom of God everywhere. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I'm ashamed to leave that one. I just, I just want to wallow in the <laughs> seventh Sunday after Epiphany a bit longer. But we cannot because we are coming up to this Sunday, the Transfiguration. It is Transfiguration Sunday. And the readings for this week are Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35, Psalm 99. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 to 4, 2, and Luke 9, verses 28 to 36, and then optional is verses 37 to 43a. Uh, <laughs> so we have, um, and I, I don't know, man, I, I, I started to dig into these readings and there was just so many gems and links that started to come that, and I mean, you and I have been around the traps of ministry at least 30 years now each. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but as I read these readings, I started to see things in them that I don't think I've ever noticed before. They were just wonderful and powerful and it got just far beyond this let's walk up a mountain and have an experience with Moses and Elijah and Jesus hanging out together type vibe, but something yeah. that I think is truly transformative. So let's, let's see where we go here. Where do you want to start? Like what's, what's jumping out to you, man? Look, what, what really jumped out at me was um, I, I, I wondered what it would be like to go through the world wondering if, everything in front of us was veiled or unveiled. <laughs> Dude, I'm so close to that. Yeah, keep going, keep going. I mean, this is, this is so much the Celtic line that I yeah. was sort of yeah. talking before, really. Um, and, and uh, you know, and, and some, of it, some of it was to me, um, you know, this this constant veiling and unveiling, which seems to be happening all through these texts to me. Um, and the, the different reasons it happens. So, so Moses seems to me to be veiling because the people are afraid. <laughs> and he doesn't yeah. even know what's going on, um, which I think is wonderful. I, I, I think that is... Um, that that is the epitome of spending time in the presence of God to me. Yeah. You don't have a clue how God has changed you, and others see it. Um, but but it really struck me that um, he that that Moses, in what I I would suggest, is an act of grace towards the people of Israel. Um, puts this veil on, um, so that they can come close and hear. Um, without this fear taking over. So I was quite struck by that. And then I was, I was struck by the disciples in this unveiling of Christ, um, this, this revealing of Christ in the transfiguration. 
who knew they were somewhere good, that they were in a place where they were supposed to be. And I, uh, you know, so there was this unveiling that, um, that they didn't fear, they certainly didn't understand. And maybe there's fear mixed in there. But in the end, they could see that this was good. And it was for them. I, I think it's quite clear that, you know, the voice um, from the clouds, listen to him, is, is clearly not addressed to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's very clearly addressed to the disciples. So this is an event that they need. Um, but for me, it's, it's all caught up with, you know, they've, they've very recently identified Jesus as, as the Messiah or the Christ. And immediately Jesus has said, tell no one, and then started talking about his coming death and resurrection. And they, they, they literally have no idea what to do with a Christ who will suffer and die. Mm, yeah, which I think is a very common human experience. Um, when we encounter the gospel, you know, what do we do with this? And I think, you know, in many cases, we simply ignore it. We run so quickly through to the resurrection and triumph that we don't really grapple with the idea of a God who suffers alongside us. Um, and I, I think that's uh, I think that is that is so upside down to use some of the terminology we've used before that um, it's so upside down that I don't I, I am in absolute sympathy with the disciples for not having a clue what to do with it. Um, I, I think that's so so this transfiguration moment I think is desperately desperately needed. Um, it's an affirmation of their observation of Jesus as the Christ. Yeah. Um, but it's also, I would suggest, uh, I, I, some, some wonderful commentators have commented on this as a, as a foretaste of the resurrection. Um, and I, there, there's something in me that kind of likes that in the context of Jesus trying to explain to them what is going through, how the Christ is going to behave in an unloving world. Mm. And, and this Christ in an unloving world will continue to love a costly love for all. This is so, so upside down. Um, and I, so I think they need this unveiling. I, I, I'm busting, busting to hear what you have seen. Oh, dude. Oh, the, so it started, I started in Luke. Yep. And I just really listened carefully to the story. I, you know, when I teach how to read the Bible with my students, my year 11s, we're actually working through that unit at the moment. I say, you know, if the writer wrote something down, it's something important. And yeah. whether it's literal or figurative is kind of irrelevant. It, for example, you know, an example, uh, an example that we did in class together was um, from Genesis chapter two, where um, the writer writes, and God planted a garden in the east. And I said, uh, you know, Hebrew questioning would ask why. So come up with all the why questions you can. And of course, someone eventually says, well, why the east? 
I said, yeah, good point. Because the writer wrote that down specifically. He could have just said God planted a garden. Or she could have just written God planted a garden. But no, it's a garden in the East. Why the East? Why is the East important? And we start to break down symbolically what East is and we get, you know, sun comes up and hope and new day and new beginnings and all sorts of other stuff. So it's that kind of thing. So here I am digging around in Luke chapter nine and I sit there and really listen to the story. So Jesus and these two disciples go up the mountain and they're still standing on earth. They're still standing on ground. This is why I love when you brought in the whole connection to nature thing and of course the mountain goes up close to the sky which for these people would have been understood as the the heavenly realm there somewhere i mean i you know not everybody thinks that i don't think of it like that now um but but this was their understanding so they've come up this mountain and you've got the heavenly realm which is also represented by the appearance of moses and elijah Um, So you've got this heavenly realm with Moses and Elijah there. You've got this mountain, which is the earthly realm. And then you've got Jesus who stands holding heaven and earth together. Beautiful. And now here's the cool thing. Then Mm. the voice from heaven says, this is my son. Listen to him. And I thought, I mean, the word listen in the Greek is um, aquos, acoustos, which is you know, acoustics. It's, it's literally it hearing. Yep. But what if it's hearing beyond just the ears? What if it's the hearing of the heart and that the listening mm. happens when you see Jesus, who is the God human, right? The God and human in one flesh. I mean, Jesus is himself the connection of heaven and earth. Heaven and earth are combined in Jesus. The Christ and the flesh, the human flesh, are joined in one. And so Jesus becomes, in that statement, the epitome of what heaven looks like when heaven, or what it looks like when heaven and earth come together. So listening to him isn't just about listening to his teaching, it's about listening to his life, it's about listening to his action. Um, and so Jesus becomes, as we've been saying, this figure of what it looks like to live the resurrection life, the kingdom of God, where heaven and earth become one. And then, I guess better, then they come down the mountain and on the way down the mountain, Jesus says, don't tell anybody what you just saying. Mm. I'm thinking, why? Why not tell anybody? Wouldn't you want to tell everyone and then I kind of thought or wondered, well, um, Peter, James, and John had this experience. They could go down and tell everyone. But the problem with that is that then everyone will think that they too have experienced it, understood it, but they haven't. Hmm. Maybe Jesus is saying, don't tell anyone because they have to have their own epiphany of who christ is and what it looks like when heaven and earth come together um they need to come to that conclusion on their own they can't Mm. rely on the testimony of peter james and john they can't rely on what they have experienced to sustain them they're going to have it revealed to them um 
themselves. They have to go through this in their own experience, in their own time. And what was interesting about that is then when I went back to the other readings, um, you have Moses coming down the mountain and veiling his face. And um, again, just for our viewers and listeners and all listeners, uh, both Mark and I come from a position that um, there isn't necessarily one understanding uh, of the text. You can have multiple understandings yeah. of the text. And that would particularly be true of the Hebrew text, where if you read the rabbis, oh my gosh, there are so many different interpretations and of the same text, even from the same rabbis. Um, so Moses comes down the mountain, he veils his face. And I was wondering, well, maybe this is because he doesn't, he wants the people to experience what he's experienced for themselves. They don't rely on what's happened for him or to him, but they get to experience that in and of themselves somehow, um, which also comes through in some, in the Psalm, um, you know, describing this God in this moment, um, you know, the people are trembling and God is sitting on the throne. Uh, but then in um, verse seven, you know, God spoke to them from the pillar of the cloud. They kept these decrees and the statues he gave to them, um, and then at the very end, worship God on God's holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. So there's this idea that God has spoken to them, um, and perhaps they need to allow those words to sink in so they too can glow, they too can have that um, glory shining from them, um, mm. rather than just rely on. And if you read the text, uh, the other parts of the text around this story, they're always sending Moses off. Go, go talk to God and find out what God wants. We don't want to go. We're afraid. We're scared. And we don't want to go in there. Um, yeah. What if some of them had? What if some of them said, no, I, I want to go see. I want to ask God. I want to experience what Moses is experiencing for me. It's almost like they lived off that experience that Moses had. But part of the transfiguration experience for Peter, James, and John is we can experience this too not just for Moses or Elijah or for Jesus to experience this connection to the divine, we can experience it as well. It's for all mm. of us. And what's really interesting then is in, um, in the, the second Corinthians reading is that, um, you know, in verse 13, uh, uh, so I read from verse 12, since then we have such a hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. Um, but their minds were hardened. Um, and into this very day, when they hear the reading of the old covenant, the same veil is still there since only in Christ is it set aside. So they still haven't, uh, you know, Paul saying, take the veil off and see the glory for yourself. Mm. Um, experience God and all God's amazingness and wonder, and awe, and beauty, and majesty. Um, and it doesn't surprise me that this experience for Peter, James, and John didn't take place in a temple. It took place on top of a mountain. And both you and I... A wild place. Yeah, yeah. And both you and I, is, I mean, we both love being outside. We love going up mountains and trail running mm. and, and you know, getting mm. out on the motorcycles and stuff and... Um, you know, nature's second nature to us, but uh, but um, it's second scripture. Yeah, well, it, it's I, actually, it's, I, I would go that far. I would go that far. I would say it's Romans one twenty when Paul would yeah, agree. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. But but what we see here is that 
Jesus takes them up a mountain for this experience, just like Moses, mind, uh, and just like Elijah mm. experienced, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. up the mountain um, with the prophets of Baal. Um, mm. So there's this uh, idea that in nature we get outside and we have this experience of the divine and we can come back from that literally glowing but um, it's we can we, I, I guess it's not keeping it from someone because we want it we're coveting it it's realizing that I mean you said just a moment ago when we were chatting beforehand how for you and I sometimes it's hard to talk to some people because they just don't get it um, mm. imagine Peter James and John going back and saying otherwise and Moses was there and Elijah was there and Jesus started to glow dude you know he's this glowing orangey, bluey, greeny thing. And it was like bright lights and they'd be going, what were you, yeah. what, what mushrooms? And we suggested building tents. Yeah. Yeah. We we're going to build a tent so they could hang out. We could stay up there for a few days and you see everyone yeah. going, you know, lay off the mushrooms guys. So, yeah. um, you know, there's this beautiful thing that's happening here, which just reminded me so much about how important it is to allow not just myself, but to allow others to walk their walk. You know, we were just talking beforehand before oh, love it. we hit record about yeah. um, uh, the person that you've met in that cafe mm. and your desire not to force and, and shove, but just to allow whatever happens to happen and, and allow, here it is in, nature to take its course um, yes. in yes. this whole thing. Um, yeah. what, a, what a great analogy but it's just allowing yeah. people to have that and when they have that boom mm. the light bulbs yeah. come on um it's not for me to say this is how it is this is how it is you've got to experience this it's about them coming to the place in their time and god knows when their time's right you know it'll yeah. happen it'll happen and and when it does it'll be transformative and so i've actually written a note here who was transfigured was it Jesus or was it Peter, James, and John? Mm. I think if you want to get technical, Peter, James, and John were just as transfigured in the transfiguration because they were literally <laughs> changed and transformed. Yes, um, of course. So yeah. that, that whole, but that, that image of being up the mountain with heaven and Moses and Elijah and Peter, James, and John, and here's Jesus pulling it all together, pulling the mount, uh, earth and heaven together in who Jesus is. Um, mm. it's, it says a lot to us about what Jesus is here to teach us and show us um, about what it means to live into that. I know we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, but that resurrection life, that, yeah, yeah. that kingdom of heaven now life, um, that, that God is rising us up to be a part of now, um, to make a difference now, to bring change and transformation now to allow God's spirit to work through us to bring that right now. It's funny, two weeks mm. ago um, the, when Jesus was doing the Sermon on the Mount, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount in the readings two Sundays ago now, and um, I never noticed this before, but Jesus starts off saying, um, oh, Jesus is healing everybody and ministering to everybody. And then it says he turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, mm. for mm. they will be filled, um, for they will be, uh, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So you've got these people behind them 
who's just been ministering to are, who are the poor, who are the hungry and who are the other people. You know, his disciples here and his disciples, are, he's looking at his disciples, but you can hear everyone back here can probably hear him. And yeah. really what he's saying to his disciples is, is that they will be received the kingdom of heaven. They will be fed. They will laugh. They will have, you know, be this healing come to them because you're going to bring it. <laughs> you're bringing yeah, heaven that, to earth, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is yeah. what you're here to do. Um, yeah. And this, you know, the transfiguration coming just after we've had those mm. stories makes absolute sense to me because Jesus is now saying there's a transformative moment in everybody's life where when you walk down the mountain, you have a choice and the choice is to continue to live into it or to ignore it and hope it goes away. Mm. Um, and I guess I'm just really switched on to the idea that I cannot ignore it and I don't want it to go away. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There's something um, in the way you've played with these scriptures that um, that makes me acutely aware that these are very experiential texts. Mm. Um, there, uh, I, I just and and it makes me wonder, especially the Exodus and Luke one, if there's kind of a danger in theologizing something that's actually a description of an experience yeah um you know are we are, are we prone to explain these things which i would suggest are probably unexplainable but 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 what if what if these stories invite us into experience invite us into an expectation that something changes as I sit with God, that um, something changes in me as heaven and earth are pulled together in front of me in the person of Christ. Um, I, 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 I'm wondering if we're approaching this slightly wrong. And, and again, the, I find the Celts calling me to something like this. <laughs> well, I, I find the Celts saying, who, who would, I would suggest, were very, very experiential, not prone to explain, but prone to invite people to participate in the kingdom of God mm. um, in order to discover what God is doing in their lives and in the lives of those around them, um, rather than this alarming settlement with, <laughs> you know as a settled kind of attitude with being able to explain settlement is not right is it but no I, i'm hearing it it's interesting as you talk and my eyes were drawn to second corinthians three seventeen from the new testament reading now the lord yeah. is spirit and where the spirit of the lord is there is teaching nope there is worship nope <laughs> There is yeah. uh, services on a Sunday. Nope. There is a mission yeah. set up. Nope. But the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Yeah. It's completely experiential. It's not a program. Yeah. It's just freedom. Mm. And I, I guess, without being too hard on myself, but also acknowledging um, some of the mistakes that I've made in the past, that, you know, 
the desire to set up programs <laughs> and structure things and hold people in and get people to them. You know, yeah. that's, I know it was in the right heart, the right heart was in it, but it completely missed the plot. It's um, one, of the, one of the big dangers, I think, of, of ministry, the way the church does it, is that, that that's what's rewarded. And, and it's those, it, it, these are the things, what you described there, that are acknowledged, rewarded, um, expected, and, and often measurable. Of course. But it's hard to, um, you know, it's, it's there, measure are, there are other things that are hard to measure. Um, and, and I think often experience and, um, yeah, I, I, I think there are, there are things that don't look as concrete to us and therefore are difficult to measure and acknowledge and, um, and, and so we end up, you know, we ignore them. Um, or we, we opt for things that are more easily counted. And, and I, I think there is a pressure um, on people in ministry to, um, to do the measurables, um, to gather, you know, to gather the community and run the programs, to do the things that, and, and look, look, I'm told that, uh, you know, there are lots and lots of people um, since COVID has started, um, in ministry who are leaving and a lot of them are not leaving because they don't want to do ministry anymore but they're leaving because they do and I think yes. it gets it, it gets it gets right to the core of what you're saying there um, but but I want to I want to minister to people I want to touch people's lives I want to see God at work in the world so I'm going to not continue with my church job because these things are so important to me. There are many, many Christians across the world um, who have been in ministry who are saying that yes. in this time. Yes. And, and it should be very, very sobering to the church. Um, if they are, you know, if the church community is putting its resources into employing people who are essentially feeling that I'm that the pressure is for me to serve this community rather than the world, you know, that then teach this community to serve the world around me. Um, that should be a very, very sobering sort of analysis for where the church's priorities really are. This is why it's so encouraging when you do find those communities where that's being allowed to happen. Uh, yes. Where, yes. Peop where the ministry focus is releasing people to do whatever it is they're called to do with no yeah. strings attached, with no, yeah. well, you've got to you know, write us out a proposal, with no, it's going to have to be overseen by someone else in leadership. It's a case of, oh, you want to do that? Cool. Let's resource you to do it. Yeah. Um, what yeah. do you need? 
what do you need? How can we help? Um, yeah. You know, as opposed to trying to control, because the control stuff, the control mechanisms are the things that you can then measure the thing, as you were saying before. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. As right. opposed to just releasing someone to go do it. And, you know, mm. you might have three people come and take part in it, but if those three lives are changed and transformed and supported and blessed, um and given what they need and fed and clothed and their families and their kids are looked after and the um you know they're just loved mm. doesn't that mean just as much as we had 500 people come through our church this year um sure. and maybe even more so i, I don't know yeah but yeah. certainly you're right that's the and I mean, and again, we were talking about this beforehand and thankfully we're in positions where we can do things in different ways and not be too concerned about any ramifications that may come from that. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people who are really stuck and they are the ones, as you were saying, who are just getting out. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, not because they don't love or believe that God's called them to this work but because they do believe that God's called them to this work yeah. and they want to do that work um, yeah. in the right way. Whew. And all that from marching up a mountain. There's, um, there's an element. Um, there's an element for me in this transfiguration story of pilgrimage. Um, yes. Uh, just of movement of deliberate i who knows how long it took them to get up there um but there there seems to me this passage seems to start with a period of silence effective silence anyway mm. um eight days later and this of course comes pretty much straight after jesus has been identified as the christ and started to talk about um, you know, Peter's rebuke of Jesus. Um, you know, this will never happen to you. Yeah. Um, eight days seems like a, a big gap after such a momentous time. And I've, I've always wondered what happens in the gap. It's silent. Um, so there's an element of me, for me in this story of a silent pilgrimage and then a, and then a physical pil pilgrimage to walk up the mountain. Um, again, very grounded and experiential, very, very earthy, really. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, so eighth day, right? You know what happens yeah. on the eighth day? And Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple on the eighth day. Yes, yes. To be circumcised. Ah, and yes. That's, that's literally what I'm just checking on here when I threw it in. <laughs> um, but yeah. So this setting aside. Represents setting the completion of the human being. Oh, my goodness. I'm just wow. reading something from a, from a Jewish website in judaism circumcision is considered a symbol of the covenant between god and the people 
In fact, bris literally means covenant. The bris is on the eighth day so that the newborn baby will by necessity live through a complete week, which must include a Sabbath. Once the baby has experienced the holiness of the Shabbos, he may enter into the covenant of the Jewish people. Mm. There, we could, I mean, had I known that before, we could have been here for three hours. We could have been, I'll need to sit with that this week. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to have a look at this. This is um, a website called Aish, which is um, just Jewish wisdom and Torah learning. Um, right. But, yeah, the eighth day, there's, there's something about that, isn't there? Um, again, why eight? Why did Luke think it was so specific to write the eighth day? Um, yeah. Because there's something happening here that um, he's remembering, of course, though Luke wrote to um, Theophilus. Um, mm. wasn't writing necessarily to a Jewish audience. But anyway, here we are. Whew. Anything else you need to pull out of this one before we shut it down, my friend? Because seriously, we could be here. Well, I, th- I think we've got another shot at it next week. So, you know, <laughs> at the beginning of the next show. So I think we've got plenty to sit with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and please, if you have any gems of wisdom that you would like to drop, Onto us, even after the Sunday, um, jump on one of the posts on Instagram and send us a DM, and um, it'll come up as a new response, and we can we can have a chat. Um, but seriously, yeah. this this has got some really deep stuff in it, and the more we chew on it, um, the more beauty comes through. So, uh, and if you're preaching on it, let us know. If you uh, seriously send us links to your sermons, um, I'd be really interested to hear. Yeah. Uh, what people, yeah. what what other people have said? Um, of course, don't forget that we do have the Instagram posts that go up a few times through the week. Mark has written the articles over at the Barefoot Follower website, and all of the links to that you will find in the show notes here. If you're watching on YouTube, or if you're on the podcast, they're in the podcast notes. Um, or you can go to um, Between Two Sundays. That's Between Number Two Sundays at Instagram. And you'll find our link tree there, which will send you to all the different places that you need to go. Uh, Really easy to find those resources. And we are blessed to be able to um, help Mm. you dive deeper into these readings. Um, But of course, we're not the, and at least it's a positive of all wisdom to quote Tony Abbott. uh, We are um, simply (laughs) vessels that would just love to learn as much from you. This as I said to the students today, good exegesis and hermeneutics is always done in community. Um, mm. So please, let's uh, create a community where we can do this together. Anything else to add, my friend? No, I think we've done well for today. <laughs> really enjoying it once again. Oh, absolutely, mate. Uh, so thank you, folks, for joining us. Thank you for all those people who continue to listen, for bringing new people along. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, anything that you would like to comment comment on the youtube video comment on the um instagram uh, i don't know if you've got comments open on the blog mate but if you can find a place to comment comment people can comment on the blog awesome. people can comment on the website that's fine. we'd love to hear from you so yeah. that's it for another between two sundays all the best for the transfiguration my friend bless you thank you and you and uh we shall see you all next week when we hang out and consider the readings again between two Sundays. Bye for now. See ya.